Welcome to the Jim Woods Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian. And we are the Jim Woods. So, an uh, interesting thing happened yesterday, sort of uh, somewhat related, well, not really related to this conversation, but I thought <laughs> it was interesting, uh, more related to our uh, episode of Proprioception okay. that, that, that we did uh, a little while back. So, I was in a bagel shop, and this guy in front of me had a few things that he had purchased and there was a glass bottle in his bag and it was leaning over the counter and it started falling. So without even thinking about it, within a a split second, my hand was underneath it. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, I didn't even think about that. I just turned, you know, I just saw it and the next thing I knew, my hand was there. Mm -hmm. Like a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just interesting how the body works, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's a good reaction time. It's funny though, like I'm sure anyone, you've had that experience where like, you know, you catch something like, you know, I don't know, you're brushing your teeth and something falls and you catch it and you're like, wow, I'm I'm a superhero. (laughs) And then then it happens and you you miss it. And um, I just come up with excuses for why I missed it. Um, But then, but then if it happens like a couple times in a row. Then I start to be like, am I am I losing it? Am I am I am I getting old now or something? Or am I am I losing my reflexes? Which I probably am because I think that you hit like a you know you hit mid thirties and then it starts to yeah, no, to, to, to decline a little yeah. bit. Well, it wasn't about executing uh, the the catch of it. It was more just about the fact that your your brain without thinking sort of your body does these yeah. crazy things. I guess I would have I would have been like. Be like um, in awe of myself if I did that. Like yeah, I would just sit there, like kind of admiring my hand. I'd probably yeah, yeah. pose a little bit, <laughs> you know, make sure like everyone, looked, everyone saw that I did that, and I got some kind of um, recognition. Yeah, recognition. Exactly. That's nice. But that's just me. So, um, what do we have on the uh, on the queue for today? Uh, David Jilks, I think. I think we said. I may have mispronounced his name. I thought it was Gilks. I think it's Jilks. That's what he pronounced. Um, but no, it was a great, uh, great chat. Uh, where we talk a little bit, a little bit of everything about yeah. current state of fitness, about the mind and how the mind's connected to the body and how that kind of mind-body connection really can, is misunderstood important. and misused and, and, and important. So uh, without further ado, we'll get to our conversation with David Jilks. Hey, everyone. We are here with David Gilks. Hey, David. How's everything? Hey, hey, life is just great. Great, thank you. Nice, nice. So David is a medical exercise program director. Uh, how did you get into that? Um, I, I, you know, actually, it's, uh, I was in the industry for quite a while, and then I, I, I happened upon a, a professor from Berkeley who was teaching a course uh, uh, in Vancouver uh, up here in British Columbia. And I took a one-day course with him, and I realized just how much I didn't know. Uh, he was a sports medicine doctor at Berkeley, so I, I anyhow, I, I found a really great mentor, as uh, you know, as we all do, I think, through life. And uh, I followed this gentleman, took everything that he had to offer, and became, of course, uh, one of his longtime students, and we become good friends. So he introduced me to the whole idea of uh, of using medically based uh, exercise concepts for the fitness industry. Great. So I actually we'll have some questions on that because that sounds really interesting. But um, Justin jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah. We typically like to know with anybody that we interview, um, before we even get into your like professional background, ah. what is your own kind of health and fitness background? Did you play sports growing up? Like kind of what got you into really into fitness um, on a personal level? 
You know, it's uh, actually I didn't really start until I was 28. Um, I, I, I grew up in the ideal environment. I grew up in a hobby farm, uh, which uh, and we we grew our own uh, vegetables. We raised pigs. We raised goats. So basically, I just I grew up in the perfect environment for growing a human. Um, so we're physically yeah. strong, and all our food was designed to uh, you know to function well within our bodies. So we didn't have to call it organic back then. We just called it food, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but it's uh, I went on a bit of a bit of a uh, tear for about 15 years. I started smoking when I was 13, so I went on a bit of a wild ride until I was 28. <laughs> and uh, you know I, w- I was in the south of Portugal, you know, which doesn't seem like a bad life, but um, but I was in the south of Portugal, and I woke up one day and I you know I, I thought, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna drop dead one day because of what I'm doing, and nobody's gonna know and nobody's gonna care. And I had this really kind of freaked out feeling in the pit of my stomach, going, man, I really haven't done anything. And so I kind of scrabbled through my brain, and all I could come up with is that my heroes growing up, uh, my um, uh, super comic heroes were uh, the Incredible Hulk and uh, and Bruce Lee. These are the people that you know I wanted. These are my heroes of my childhood. So, so I ended up becoming a national rank bodybuilder and a martial artist many many years later. But it was that that whole superhero thing that kind of uh, inspired me when I was 28 to quit smoking, move back to Canada. And uh, that was over, that was what, 25 years ago, and I haven't looked back. So um, about that, uh, it was actually superheroes and pro wrestlers, which are kind of like life, you know, they, they basically are superheroes. They're yeah. basically the same concept that, in, that did, a, I, I think, inspired Ryan quite a bit, right? He was always into to sports, but I think that that definitely inspired you to yeah. to start lifting weights and everything like that, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a huge motivator for me as a as a young kid and you too. I think that's what, what Yeah, absolutely. lifting. Absolutely. So, um uh, a little bit of a sidebar, David, yeah. uh we actually somewhat recently did an episode on Bruce Lee and oh, wow. on the deification of Bruce Lee and not to say that he wasn't the the uh the, the greatest at what he did right. uh but the 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 point of the ep- of the episode was that we thought he was a, a brilliant filmmaker and a you know choreographer fight choreographer and all of that stuff but the debate is whether he was an actual fighter and whether he could have um survived in a modern uh mixed martial arts cage right. And that, which is actually an interesting discussion people have online. So maybe you'd be interested in hearing the uh, little discussion that we had. Yeah, no, absolutely. I look forward to stepping into that. Actually, it's pretty fun. So, so I guess my question is um, two two parts is regards to like what you do. Um, So, what exactly does a medical exercise program director do? And then the second is, I guess, in in kind of involving yourself in this world, what did you learn was missing from the kind of traditional exercise field? Well, well, I think it's, uh, well, the medical exercise, uh, an ex- medical exercise program, uh, what we look at is um, we were generally the, the missing link between, uh, like between physio, physio, physiotherapy um, and healthcare. Or it just look in the space where people were were released from the hospital. They uh, they were functional, but they weren't really better. They weren't strong enough. So it, it, you know, it, it only took uh, you know four or five weeks trying to get back into a running program, or you know, a few weeks back in the gym. They were stable, but they just weren't strong enough. And uh, so part of the part of our job was actually was to reorientate somebody who uh, went through ACL surgery, or somebody's had a total hip replacement, or uh, or even just uh, coming out of frozen shoulder. 
just to actually reorientate how their body was functioning because it's not only do we have to, the injury that we have to look at, but all the other patterns that were created avoiding mm. that injury. And uh, so that led us into an interesting, uh, um, but a 17 year conversation now with, uh, with neurology and uh, with the neurology of movement rather than the physicality of what we see as a physical movement. We look at levers, you know, first, second, third class levers, but I got more fascinated by what the brain was doing with the information and could we could we kind of kind of hijack the brain and rewrite the patterns rewrite the neural maps for movement uh, considering that the old one was flawed due to the injury that somebody had wow that that, that sounds that's it that sounds like a mouthful right there <laughs> so before we dive any deeper, can okay. you s- sort of explain to the to the lay people that yeah. we are? Well, not not Tony; she's uh, you know yeah. she's medical, and not Ryan, but I'm the lay person, and I'm sure some of our listeners are are not experts in this field either. Can you just sort of let us know what this whole concept between you know neurology and um, you know the muscular system and just everything? Yeah. Just, just sort of key us into this. Yeah, I mean, very simply is that it's, you know, if we, it's like an engine. If I, you know, we have a, a beautiful big engine in an old car, and if I go in and I strip all the wiring out, and you go to tr- try to turn it over, you got nothing. If I siphon all the fuel out of it to get rid of all the oil, you got nothing. You got a big chunk of metal. So the human body, it's like kind of a, it's, we're just a big chunk of meat without the, the nerves driving motion, without the metabolism supporting it. So, because we've always talked about, well, it, it, within the within the strength industry, for sure, we've always talked about, you know, training muscle, we're doing this to muscle. But we're really, I mean, we're stimulating a little bit, but the, the what we really need to do is look at, we understand that the brain holds all the patterns of movement, like all the history of movement. So if I want a more refined physical movement, then I need to go in and I need to teach my mind to create a better pattern, like a software program, to make me move better. If, if I use – so when somebody's injured, for example, and, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, they get into an accident and let's say they get whiplash. So they have massage therapy and they have some physio, maybe some, uh, you know, some needling. And, uh, and at the end of a couple of weeks, the insurance company's done paying for the, paying for the program and, you know, therapist says, you know, there's, there's no inflammation. You know, the, the, the tone feels good. The chiropractor says the neck is aligned, what have you. So you're good to go. But you still can't turn your head to the right. And it's really st- and it's annoying, and you don't know why, and yet everybody's saying you're better, but you're not, and you know you're not. Insurance company cuts you off. You got to go back to work, and you got this screwed up neck. And what we realize is that it's just, and this came through working through this uh, my doctor friend mentor, is that this whole concept of apprehension sign, and an apprehension sign is your brain remembering that injury. And it's still living in the time of the injury occurring that hasn't let go. The guarding around the injury is still there. So we started playing around the idea, well, what if we actually went in and taught people, we, you know, we, we started a whole different sequence of movements. So the brain had a, something brand new to work with. Then we started read, so we would get core muscles active. So we get somebody doing some bridging work and doing some pelvic tilt work. And then we get the shoulder girdle muscles active and get the body really stable. And then we do that and then turn the neck. And lo and behold, their head would turn without any pain or any fear hmm. because we, we created a brand new map. But but it's it's no different than our psychology, you know. If sure. you know, when you're when you're four years old, and if every time you came around the corner, I hit you in the forehead with a big foam Nerf bat, and I did that for a couple of years, you're gonna walk around the corner with a bit of a hitch in your step, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just the memory of injury 
sorry, so the memory of the injury is similar to our psychological injuries and our physiological injuries. They're kind of recorded in a similar fashion. So we just need a different map to re-represent the way I want to move now. So <laughs> once again, a, a lot more. And it got me thinking because every time I had hurt myself, even just having sore muscles, you almost anticipate your, let's mm-hmm. say you have your, your quads or sore or something. You anticipate it going to hurt when you take yeah. a step. So you're almost apprehensive when it comes to walking. So I can imagine if you have a very serious injury, what that's like. So, uh, but let me get this, so let me get this, uh, uh, get this right. So you are doing, you you do certain, uh, or you, certain uh, exercises to strengthen, um, maybe make more flexible, just different, different muscle groups to help the injury. But what about the psychological aspect of it? Because it clearly there is one. If you're mentioning that injuries will trigger the mind to to live in that state, absolutely. Does does working the physical aspects help the psychological uh, injury that has occurred? Yeah, because it's uh, because again, there's always, as you said, this anticipation. It's like precognition, right? We're anticipating something bad to happen, so we just stop even even trying in anticipation of possible pain. So the challenge is, you know, it's just, uh, it, was, it, it really comes from one Einstein's quote saying, you know, we can't change the problems we've created using the same mind that we had when we created it. And he said it so aptly, so so all we do is we go through, and if, if normally, normally putting weight on that left thigh post ACL reconstruction is the issue, then, then we back off, and then we just, you know, it's almost, it's almost like a little bit of sleight of hand. We go, okay, let's tell you what, let's get you doing some bridging work. Let's get your glutes to fire, and let's get your pelvic floor to fire, and then let's find a way. Can I get you to move that knee a little bit in this position, so it's a like a, a position that really won't cause much discomfort. And when their core muscles are active, and they go from their core, they go on, you know, actually, that actually doesn't feel too bad, and they're actually a little surprised because they're anticipating pain. So we try to set it up where when the core we, – we, we return everybody back to a core basis and we actually get the core muscles to become active. And so what the brain thinks and – and I'll give you the acronym. And the acronym is SAM. First, I stabilize, right? So it, generally, it's knees soft, core tight, shoulders back and down. We get the core muscles to become active. And then secondly, we look at the, the target muscle beyond the stability. The target muscle is the quad. So I want you to fire off your core muscles first, and they have to think, feel, and do this. So it's a, it's a top-down process from the brain down to the muscle. Now that I'm stable, I want you to stay, be stable and then flex the quad gently. And as you flex the quad, it's, gonna, it's going to extend your knee. And when people think in that process and then we take them out of it and tell them to relax your core and then extend your knee, the pain comes back because they're using the previous map. And then they realize, hey, you know, I've got control over this. And it's actually quite astonishing. And now, of course, the only problem is with anything uh, setting a pattern, it takes time. And generally for uh, a pattern like just trying to get the knee to go, try to get the knee to extend safely without discomfort, it would take probably 6,000 repetitions. So you would want to be doing it twice a day for a few minutes. But then every time every time you took a walk, you walked a flight of stairs, this could be an act of repetition where I braced my core and I walked up the stairs and that felt good. I braced my core, walked down the stairs. That all adds up to the repetition needed to create that pattern. Yeah, so now, now when it comes to most people, I'd say the, say the average person, especially given society, the way we sit a lot, or 
there are tons of different um, issues with movement patterns, um, compensations. Are, do you recommend this type of training just for the layperson, even if there's, they're not in like a clinical setting? No, I mean, you, you can run, you can have a gold medal and have really bad uh, orthopedic management. You can, I mean, I, I don't know how many athletes I've worked with over the years that lead the professional career with, uh, no, with no cartilage in their knees, yeah. they've blown at a hip. Um, so, I mean, the body, you can force it to do a lot of really incredible things badly. You can, you can be a gold medalist, but have really just re- the weirdest mechanics, and you just won't do it for long, right? Eventually, you'll, you'll just start wearing things out. So the, uh, the, the, only, the only stipulation to uh, training people like that is that somebody is actually currently in the middle of a, uh, a competitive season. I'm not going to go in there and start hacking around with their, the way they function, yeah. right? So I'll wait till I get somebody off season. But for for I think for every individual, the challenge is, and you think about and you think about the lay person heading into the gym after work. What were you doing all day at work? Well, doing what you and I are doing, sitting on a rear end, leaning forward. And now, if we take now the whole idea of being warmed up, why warm up bad posture? Why not warm up and then actually turn on all of the muscles that are weak, strength, uh, stretch the muscles that are tight, and then train that. And if you did that every single day, just t- spending 10 minutes, it could be a, a, a combination of a yoga routine, yoga because it's really great for extension, and then you fire off some some of your fire off your buttock muscles and get your abs to fire and your the muscles in around your shoulder blades. And if you just warm the, if you actually turn those on after you warm the body up, and then you put everything on top of that: yoga, martial arts, golf, strength training, Pilates. Otherwise, you just take in what's currently tight and you leave it what's currently weak because it's really hard to turn on a weak tissue in the middle of an exercise program. Hmm. So are you recommending this as a prehab? I know that's almost a buzzword, but Absolutely. it's picking up a lot of steam. So if someone is not injured, could, could this system actually help someone? Absolutely, because the whole, the whole component is about, you know, um, is trying to get people centered. And so every movement, if you know, what if there was no left or right? Uh, there was no up or down. There's no back or forth. If you watch a beautiful, you watch a gymnast move, and how do they how do they move their body through space without so being orientated to a very specific spot, right? Which is your core. And so that if you put your weight on your left leg, is the weight on your left leg, or is your muscles when your muscles contract, they actually pull energy up the thigh. But the average person puts weight through the leg, so they're always going the opposite direction. They're putting weight into earth, into the earth. But when I when I watch beautiful athletes uh, move, like martial artists and gymnasts and people of that nature, it's just it's so effortless because everything. It's just a it's one big core exercise. So I think if we start thinking about everything that we do, from playing tennis to golf, how do I set this up to my core? From bodybuilding to uh, to uh, CrossFit, how do I, I make this a core exercise? And that becomes the preceding thought. I think that by itself will actually change the way a lot of people are going to show up physically inside movement. All right. So I I know you mentioned what uh, muscle groups and sort of what ideas you want to get firing. So, but I'm listening and I'm wondering. All right. So how would we go about doing this? Could you walk us through maybe a, 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 a either a workout or a plan that you would give Absolutely. to someone who comes in and you know just to sort of a, a, someone who works at an office and is trying to be fit and trying to avoid injury and not trying to be a world class athlete but just wants to be in in good health. So yeah. what would you what would a program consist of? 
there would be about uh, about four exercises actually, and this is this is always the orientation that people go through. That's something they do twice a day, every day for two weeks. Otherwise, I won't play with them. Um, and it's simply the first exercise is doing something called a pelvic tilt. And pelvic tilt, uh, if you've had a bad back or if you've had uh, if you've given birth to children, then you probably know what it is. But really, just the act of actually tightening your bladder bladder and rectum muscles internally. And as you flex them, you're going to find that your back is actually your lower back is going to be pressed uh, gently down towards the floor. I mean, it may be flat, may not be, but it's just the goal is to contract those internal muscles. And essentially, that's your core. Your center of gravity is around your sacrum, so that's that's pr predominantly your your intrinsic uh, internal core. So we get people doing two to three sets of ten repetitions just by flexing their bladder bladder and rectal muscles. I try teaching that to a 15 year old hockey player. It's pretty funny actually. Okay. Uh, so. When they get into the habit of doing that and they understand, okay, this is what it feels like. It's a bit weird, but it's what it feels like. Then secondly, we say, okay, now I want you to tighten those muscles and keep your back anchored the way it is. Now I want you to lift your left heel off the ground uh, about six inches and do that about eight times and do the same for your right. And now I want you to do that, brace your core, lift your heel, brace your core, lift your heel. And then I'll have them turn their core on, turn their core off so they feel the difference and it's actually quite substantial. So when they brace their core and lift their heel, the stress goes to the core uh, it gets drawn right into the core musculature and they can feel the bracing. When they relax the core, they just feel the stress sitting out in, inside the hip flexor. So it's not as stable. And we do the same thing with their, their arms as well. So the re arms are, they're lying on the back, arms are reached to the ceiling. They can hold a three to five pound weight in their hand. And they reach their arm back overhead slowly until they feel the lower back wanting to arch off the floor. They stop, they brace the core a little bit harder, draw the arm back to neutral. And so they do that, obviously do that with the, the opposing arm, but even just that act is that what we're trying to teach, teach them is that when their legs move, the core fires, when their arms move, the core fires. And we get, that doing, get them doing that in the morning and at night, um, again, twice a week for two weeks. And then it's, once they do that, then I take them in and get them into some basic, uh, just basic movement patterns, whether it's yoga or Pilates or something they want to do for strength training. But I, I, I need to know I can access the core, and I need to know they know what it is, and they can access it. So this isn't actually a workout, but more of like a supplement to whatever the choice workout is. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just because it's I need a foundation to build on. Gotcha. And, oh. and if they don't have it, and they don't even know what it is, and they couldn't even uh, flex the muscles that their life depended on it, I'm not much good to them. Yeah, so and, and again, it's no different than having, you know, and it's it's a funny thing because it's 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 kind of like the um, uh, not having a philosophical core, right? I mean, you you know, you have a shtick, you have it's the gym wits, you have a very specific genre, you have a focus, and <laughs> and allows you to build something. It's the same in fitness. If you know, people want to go in and get fit, but it's ambiguous. They want to get in shape, but it isn't. But what is shape? Rounds a shape. Like, you know, we, we, we kind of lack the specificity and we lack the skill set and almost the unwillingness to develop the skill set because really to develop anything long term uh, to really become injury, relatively injury free, it takes a little bit of knowledge and it's actually a very simple process. It's not complicated, but I think that's the problem. A lot of people want to be entertained. They don't want to say want to be educated. Yeah. So now tell me, um, tell us a little bit about um, Factor 3 Fitness and kind of how, how it got started and, and um, what you do with that. Yeah, so Factor Three Fitness basically it's just a it's kind of a it's a program of numbers. So for example, we 
we set it up and we realized that people didn't have a lot of tr- a lot of time to train or the, or the, just the way their life is set up. So we want to find a way that where could we how could we set up um, exercise programs where people could develop a little bit of a intensity in their workouts. So their you know elevated heart rate, ele- elevated cost exercise. Um, they didn't have time to do tons of cardio. A lot of people defaulted to uh, either or. Either I'm going to the gym or either I'm going to the gym, I can't I can't expect both. So we created some circuit training that both elevated heart rate but also allowed us to to develop some uh, a good amount of lean muscle tissue, both men and women, and of course a very condensed way of uh, training. So I do more work in one one 45 minute session than most people would accomplish in three days of training. So we we it was a very compartmentalized way of training. And so factor three is just a series of micro circuits um, set up three to four days a week, um, depending on the individual schedule. But then we also also tracked and said, well, if I'm training harder on these days, on th- uh, these three days of the week, for example, then my calories should spike. I should be able to eat to support my training. But days where I'm doing predominantly cardio, then I'll, I'll drop the calories down. So we got on this pattern of zigzagging uh, or doing uh, caloric undulation or just high calorie, low calorie days. So the body never got fixated on one one steady stream of, uh, of um, calories coming in seven days a week, irregardless of what they were doing. So so again, we just we set it up so that it was just a series of numbers. We know how much uh, weight we move and how long it took us to move it. So people can actually uh, gauge the training by uh, volume of work. You know, so uh, one lady went in and she did 25,000 pounds of volume in 35 minutes. So she was pretty happy about that. Nobody was caring about how how much she curled, but how much overall labor did she do? So people track their total labor, their work per unit of time, or the total labor, and they find all they have to do is change those numbers a little bit. So if I did move this much weight in this much time, I just need to do more, uh, either the same weight in less time or more weight in, in the same amount of time. But it, it was just merely a game of numbers. So now, do you also, in this type of program, which seems a little bit more performance-based, um, do you incorporate uh, the kind of neuromuscular training into this as well? Yeah. In fact, uh, every exercise that we go through, uh, require it's all based on the same uh, the concept. Uh, we, we, we have a yoga-based warm-up, and then every exercise we go through the, the conversation of how do you stabilize this movement? What is the target muscle? How does the target muscle function? So the two tutorials – Really walk walk you through the process. So again, it's a thought, it's a think, feel, do process uh, always. Uh, and really, the program was designed for people that were they're already in motion, they're already they're off the couch, they're moving, they're willing to put in the effort. They just don't know how to get to that next level without getting hurt. All right. So you have something um, called the I Am Project. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, actually, the the I Am Project. Uh, uh, came out from uh, being frustrated working with people uh, <laughs> and you know and you know most trainers we, we we really take it upon ourselves like like how guilty do most trainers or coaches feel when their clients are not being successful we think that we failed them somehow we didn't have the right certification didn't read the right book uh you know uh, you know just it was the wrong personality uh, match but when i got to the i am project i wondered and this alluded to earlier in our conversation if somebody had a physical trauma and the trauma is stored in their mind, and if I go into their mind and I can actually create a brand new place, a brand new series of uh, maps or a new behavior for that leg to move, and I see the success of that uh, is pretty high based on you know the client obviously doing the work, how different is that than the way we think? And I realized that when when people are trying to create a um, to create a philosophical shift or like a lifestyle shift. 
I was just fascinated by the failure rate. And, and, you know, I took it upon myself, you know, I, you know, of course, blame myself when clients were successful, but I became fascinated with the idea of why, like, why, why do intelligent people do really silly things, especially things that could kill them long term, as far as uh, their, their, uh, their own um, health behaviors. And I started tracking, I realized, of course, everything that we do within our mind, it, it's the issue becomes it's always retroactive. Right. I started a new gym program, but I've but this is something I've done the last 12 years. And my history around gym training is get really excited by the, the initial phase, you know, the honeymoon phase of exercise. And then four or five weeks later in, into it, I'm missing a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, you know, four months later, the gym doesn't even exist as a part of my lifestyle. So the I am project was actually exploring the faulty thought processes. And then we started remapping them. And what we could realize is that. If I, if the I am, if I create in you a current strong core identity based on who you are right now in the present, and this is what philosophers have been saying forever. If I give you a strong uh, philosophical core, I help you, I help you discover what yours truly is. Then, uh, then we go back and we, when we actually remap the rest of your life around that. So we, we uh, remap your, your idea around wellness, spirituality, family, relationships, career, contribution. Um, and it was actually pretty fascinating. So we just, as we build these maps for people, we realize that the 10-year-old was having the conversation with you about wellness. The 14-year-old was talking to you about finances because your dad went bankrupt and it freaked out the whole family. So that's why you don't save money. And we found all these really interesting neural connections of the way the brain was wired to all our experiences. So we're doing, we do the same thing with the I am product as we do with, uh, within factor three is we teach you how to center yourself. We, we build a philosophical or a physiological center, and then we build everything around that. And it's actually, it's not very complicated when you come to think about it. It took me a long time to get here, but it's a simplification of the process. If you don't, if you don't have a core, you're not strong enough physically or mentally. So let's just, let's just go there first before we do anything else. So it's, it's all very interesting and it, and it, and it sounds great. Um, well, the question, uh, uh, you brought up a, a nice point about your past behaviors. In, right. in general, whether it's in fitness or your diet or in life, what you do, so much of what you do now or everything is really based on your past behaviors. Right. So let's take that example of the guy that wants to get in shape and he, he goes to the gym and he's running and he's lifting weights and he's doing everything right. And then after a month, his job gets, you know, it's busier. So he misses right. a few days and then he has problems with his marriage. So he misses a few days and then that fixes. And then, you know, his, you know, his uncle gets sick and he has to help him. And all these things start happening and it gets him away from his goal. And this is just such right. a, a common story that you've heard, um, you know, time in and time out. How would you work to rewire this person? Like, what are some of the steps that you would take to have them be able to achieve their fitness goals based on the wrongs that they've done in the past? I don't want to well, say the wrongs. That's a negative. Just based on life and sort of the, the, the route that they've taken and how would you go about remapping this person? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's actually it's, – it's relatively simple. Um, you know, we look at – we have people go through and, and we call it the I am project, not the I was, right? So people suffer because they live in the I was, right? I was this. I was that. This happened to me. This is, this is this, – somebody said this. Somebody did this. 
So we live perpetually in the I was because what the brain does, it takes incoming information, all our sensory information, and it, and it matches it against our history to come up with an answer, right? What does this mean? So our brain gives us meaning based on our historical reference. So I want to find who, who people are. So if I ask somebody, listen, you know, can you list off three, maybe three to five, but three for sure, three character strengths uh, uh, that that you know about you things that are valuable things that are ethical things that are really they're really beautiful and wonderful about who you are and can you find that in history so can you find the point so i had i had i chose three examples for myself and one was i am abundant because i had this fear about uh going bankrupt because i had lots of bankruptcy in my family and i had some small uh, bout of poverty <laughs> in life and uh so it kind of freaks me out so i looked at Yes, I'm well aware of the memory of, of lack, right? And I, I can get there easily, and most of us can. But it's really, it's not as easy to get into the memory of abundance. And if I look at my life now, my life has some abundance. I'm healthy. I've got a new car. I got a, you know, my kids are healthy. So I had to go through and look at, okay, what are the, what are the current, what are the current realities of the good things? The bad things are obvious, but what are the good things? So we'd highlight, uh, I'd highlight two or three events of, okay, this is what abundance means to me. This is the expression of it. This is where it's in my life. This is how it feels. This is how I think about it. And I started building this map, this brand new map, and creating some uh, um, uh, a very much more uh, powerful connection and an immediate connection to what was obvious, obviously good about my life. And I did that around. Um, I did that around intelligence. I'm a high school dropout, but my you know, some of my best friends are scientists in the world. I'm going, but my insecurity was around. You know, I was a high school dropout. I was a bit of a pothead, wasted my life. But no, that's who I was. Right. Who I am is this person who has a good degree of intelligence. I can read complicated stuff and make sense of it, and I love it. So I, I am intelligent, and I had, and I could own that based on you know the history of the last 20 years. Yeah, I so I, sorry, please go ahead. No, I just, I do. I definitely think it's important to believe you can first and put the idea in your mind and visualize yourself getting to whatever it is, whether it's your fitness goals or, you know, just whoever you want to be in life, you have to paint that picture first. And if you keep putting negative thoughts in your head, then the negative will just manifest. So. You, you, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, and the, the, the simple uh, format to this is that I, just like making perfume, you know, I didn't need the whole rose. I just need the essence. So what was the emotional state of successes I've already have? Mm-hmm. How did I do that? Right. And I'd look at, you know, like I, I pulled some significant stuff off in life. And if I if I'm a businessman, and if I did this, I did that. Yes. If I recognize the energy and the emotion and the psychology around my existing successes and obvious successes, then I use that as the foundational conversation for the part of wellness. I, I ran a business and I created a whole bunch of stuff. I figured if I can take my sorry rear end from being, you know, from smoking for 15 years, you know, abusing drugs and alcohol, just eating garbage for for a decade and a half. If I can, if I can rewire 80 billion cells, I can figure out how to run a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can do that. I can do anything. Yeah. And. And it's the same thing. I, it's the same thing with people that already have successes. They, you know, you can you can model other people that 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 inspire you, but you can also model yourself. 
And I think that's a real powerful place to be. If you can look inside your own life and say, you know, I pulled off some significant wins in my life and it felt amazing. What if I, what if I just feel, get into that space and remember that and remember how it felt and actually sit in that space for a few moments, just simmer my cells and the reality of, 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 you know, of who I truly am and what I'm capable of. And then from that vantage point, I'm going to make a decision about my wellness. So um, before we kind of got on the air, um, you, you were talking a little bit. Um, you had an interesting um, kind of uh, interesting thoughts on, I guess, where fitness is now versus yeah. where it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. And I'd love for you to kind of talk about that to our listeners. Yeah, yeah it's uh, well, I mean, as I said before, I grew up on a hobby farm. So, you know, when I was six years old, I was pulling concrete forms. Uh, you know, we had an acre of garden, you know, and we had a, a 15 acres of property behind us. So I think by the time we are 13 years old, so we are strong as men, as full grown men, right? <laughs> Moving four by four concrete post. And so I think what, what's happened is that, you know, we, have, we understand that the body, we're, we're the byproduct of our environment, our posture, our diet, uh, you know, um, the quality of air in our lungs. So what I was, I was interesting. I was watching training as it went along, and and I realized it took me a while to figure out why I was strong in the gym. Well, because I, I had a I had a really good foundational set of uh, behaviors that were taught to me at a very young age, at a real formative point in time in my history. So from the age of six to 13, 14, you know. I, I knew how to move. And my nervous system had lots of experience every day, seven days a week, with just raw movement patterns. So now you you take that into the gym and you know what you know you've got something that actually intuitively knows how to move things around. So again, huge database of information. We call it physical literacy. I'm very literate physically. But now now you take somebody uh, nowadays, a, a six year old, and between the ages of six and thirteen, what do most kids do? You know, that's like eighty percent downtime, right? They they're not as physically active. They don't. They rarely do manual labor, right? They didn't do anything, any stuff I was doing. So I realized that it's just the, the, the stuff that I could do wasn't really all that ordinary because, because of my foundation. So I realized that people in this, the common or our, our current era, they just don't have that mapping. They don't have the, um, the neurology for movement. They don't have the experience. Uh, they can't, you know, we tell somebody this is a glute exercise and their hamstrings and lower back light up for the first four months because the brain's going glutes. What are that? Like, I, I know, I understand the reference. I know where they are. I just don't know what they do because I just sit on them all day and they're never active. So, Yet, oh, sorry. No. So when you do something called a glute exercise, the brain goes, yeah, I understand the theory of what you're asking me to do. But I tell you what, I got a great set of hamstrings and lower back for you because those suckers are tight and they're active. Your glutes, I have no idea what they're used for anymore. Hmm. <laughs> so it's sort of an, an interesting duality that's going on while uh, our youth, especially, uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, where are you located? You said you were I, in, I'm in not Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so I don't know about Canada. I'm sure it's fairly similar to the United yeah. States and other uh, other sort of first world um, yeah. locations, but certainly uh, kids are not as active. They're, they're playing a lot more video games. They're on their tablets, whatever it is, on their phones. And um, that certainly has its, uh, its impact on people. But on the other hand, 
in general, we know so much more about, I don't know if we, we know so much more, we definitely know more, but there is a lot more information out there for someone who is looking to get fit. All you have to do is a quick search and you're inundated with information. Now that's, my, that's a separate issue that yeah, we've yeah. talked about uh, ad nauseum on the gym wits. So how do you sort of put those two together, the fact that uh, youth are not as active and might not be as set up for being physically fit with the fact that we have a lot more knowledge, we have a lot more access, there are a lot more gyms than there were, say, 30 or 40 years ago, there are a lot more plans, you could work out, you could have an exercise plan online, a lot more home fitness stuff, there's just a lot more out there, so how do you put those two together? Um. Well, well, I think when you're looking at uh, um, encouraging and inspiring our youth to do something, well, it really comes, uh, who are my role models? Well, my role models are very fit people. Um, so, you know, role modeling is a huge, is a, is a huge component. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I've, I've had different times where parents have dropped off, off their children to me and they've actually berated their children in front of me as they walk their unhealthy, overweight carcass back to the car. Yeah. And very, very frustrated with with things like that. We ha- it's role modeling. It really is the thing, mm-hmm. and and it's not about being two uh, percent body fat. It's not about being a physique athlete. I you know I think there's lots of ways. It's um, a certain. I, I believe it's a moral responsibility. If I'm going to bring a, a, a little human onto the planet, I've got some. I have a big responsibility to make sure this thing is set up properly and has the best chance of survival. And so it's just you know looking at moderate lifestyles and even to the point of. Uh, I, I think we, you know, so many families are they're so far behind the eight ball. They feel weight wise or health wise that the journey out seems almost impossible, and of course seems very difficult. And sometimes it's just these, these really simple changes where they're subtle. Where uh, you know it's going, it's walking up to the walking up to the mall after dinner. And I did that last night and going, but I, you know, even still being fit, I you know my first impulse is to hop in my vehicle and drive up, drive up to the store to go buy some groceries rather than walk the 15 minutes up there and back. So, but I, you know, it really has to be a conscious thing. And I think if we start looking around and we realize that it's just the problems that people are encountering are prevalent, but they're not normal, mm-hmm. right? Prevalency has created normalcy. Obesity is prevalent, it's not normal, right? Yeah, uh, type, type two diabetes is prevalent, it's just not normal. So the things that are they're really hurting us, they have such widespread spread prevalency, it's created uh, kind of an apathetic, viewpoint around it because you know you look at your neighbor yeah you know john you know i'm I'm five pounds lighter than he is and our kids are all doing the same kind of thing and it's only the roman greco children that are out you know dancing five days a week or Mm. so we so we've created a really we've created a really interesting um a challenging point in time in history to be alive and I i think it's the point where there's some really you know there's no easy answer except for again just my belief the way i've moved myself through is through a lot of introspection and just some personal accountability, you know, I, I you know, if I if I t- pull my head out of the sand, I look around, I see, you know, you know, we're not doing very good globally, you know, as a planet. We're not kids are not doing very well. Uh, illnesses are really uh, they're always up on the rise, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So, what is my role? And and that's something that I really give to most people um, that that first start with me, especially if they're struggling with weight. I said, listen. You know, I have a very unique lifestyle that I've worked hard for and I earn. So most people don't relate to me. They respect my knowledge and what I can do for them. But as far as relating to me, yeah, they just think I'm Dave the fit guy, right? Who's just a bit of a bit of a unicorn out there. 
but the reality is, is that I, when I look at my clients, I say, listen, as we start moving forward, you know, I need you to take my advice because you need, I need you to help me inspire your community, the people that you're connected to. I need you to help me reach other people in your world. And you're going to be, somebody's always waiting for somebody else to go first. So why not you? Mm. And if I, and when fitness becomes less about, you know, uh, me losing five pounds, me uh, looking better this summer, me uh, attracting, you know, the ideal mate, me uh, getting rid of my shame of being fat or whatever the issue is. If, I, if my conversation around it was that, you know, there's a whole bunch of people in my world that I, I could inspire. It could be my spouse. It could be my children. It could be my coworkers, not, 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 uh, um, not including myself. What a powerful journey it would be. And we start taking it as part of social responsibility. And we start seeing that piece because, you know, trying to lose weight and trying to deal with self-image is very insular and becomes very much about me and stuff that happened to me. But, but I, I found that people more powerfully are connected to a vision when they see the possibility that, man, there's somebody counting on me, not only my children, but my spouse or my sister. I, I, I sent a note to my brother a while back uh, and I, you know, his wife was struggling with health issues. And I said, listen, if she dies, you know, I was kind of harsh. I said, if she dies, where were you role modeling possibility? Where were you role modeling how health would look? You get your, you know, I gave him, you know, I gave him some gym equipment and some, uh, car, some uh, cardiovascular equipment. I said, you get on this equipment, you show her what's possible. And then when you roadmap for her, then she'll follow you. She'll follow your example. And I think we've actually come down to a point in time in history where you can Google search all you want. But unless we start philosophically changing and recognizing our how much we impact our environment, uh, you know, just just through our actions, it, it's yeah, it, it's I so I get a little bit of a, a kind of a rant on that piece. But 20, 23 years later, I'm trying to help people move forward, it's just at the end of the day, you know, we we just you know we're we're you know we're in trouble out here and. We need more superheroes. Yeah, we need right? more people leading by example. Absolutely, and and I think every every I have one lady who I'm working with now. She's 400 pounds, and I keep telling her, I said, "Man, you are going to be just a rock star because you will blow people away by showing possibility." I said, "I need you to be that person yeah. because they're not going to listen to me, you know, they, you know, until they feel like they're ready to come talk to Dave the Fit Guy, mm-hmm. but they you will you will inspire them and you'll bring them to tears through your success." So that's our that's what we're doing together, and that's how I work with my clients now. That's awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> good stuff. It's a, it's a it's a big issue to tackle. We, you know, we talk about it quite a bit uh, on the gym. It's just the you know the the, the sort of the, the state of the union right yes. now, um, and yeah, it's a it's a big undertaking. And if people are going to get healthier, it's going to be um, you know from the ground up. It's going to be society it's going to be individual it's going to be group it's going to be everything for, for sure um so uh david where can we find you well it's uh like so many of us i'm i'm kind of my whole life is scattered across social media yeah, yeah. um of course you can uh, you can find me at the uh, the i am project.com right. um of course you can find me on facebook um you know of course uh, david last name g-i-l-k-s and then, of course, I'm on. Uh, I play around on Instagram. <laughs> I feel like I live more in the virtual world than I do uh, do sure, in my real sure. one. Um, but of course, uh, David Jokes on Instagram as well. And uh, and of course, we have our uh, factor3fitness.com. It's uh, it's our fitness based program as well. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm pretty much everywhere everywhere social media goes. Excellent. 
Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the Gym Wits. It was a very, very cool conversation. Um, I hope a lot of people write in and talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's well, you know, and it, it's not. I don't have the answer. I'm just asking questions and looking sure. for answers. So I, I'm always uh, willing to uh, looking for. Uh, collaborators, opponents, uh, just it, it, it's just a big conversation that needs to be pushed out there a little bit further. And I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to let me uh, have my say my piece here. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, David. And uh, th- you know, thanks for coming on the Jim Whitson. Have a wonderful day. I will. I will. Thanks, guys. Take care. So definitely a, a lot in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know how, I don't know how you would follow up on that. What did you think about the the whole concept of your? We've talked about it a little bit, but he sort of really brought it to light. Your past experiences, your your upbringing, your past actions, sort of influencing who you are now, and especially as it uh, as it comes to fitness. I'm sure you see it all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, we're we're it's like, you know very common saying like we're a product of our experiences. So I think that's not um, anything new. I think what what makes it you know what does make it interesting is is we do think we tend to think of fitness as very we're very forward thinking with fitness so we think okay what you know i have a goal my goal i have today and i have a goal on another day in the future and so we tend to commit to you know making change in the future but it's it, the momentum is always forward and we and i just you know know this working with clients i'm sure tony you know this working with with nutrition patients that you need to take a look into the past to yeah. see to predict you know the outcomes and yeah. so often if you just get somebody that says i want this goal on this date and you you give them a plan for that goal on that date um you know you, you don't have much information so you might work or it might not but if you get information on their past on their history on whether they've tried it before what they've tried how successful have they been et cetera, et cetera, i think that makes a big difference so i think you know it, it does highlight the the idea that we need to sometimes kind of take a step back and and consider the experience you have anything to add i mean it's not even sometimes it's all the times it's why i believe so strongly in individualized care because we're all individuals and we have different experiences and upbringings habits behaviors like these things shaped us for a long time and so we need to make a conscious effort to fix it but in order to fix it we didn't need to know where it's coming from what the goal is where you're at now and how do we bridge that gap so for everyone out there listening what is what is the idea? What is the first thing that pops in your mind as when it comes to either your uh, fitness or your um, nutrition about well, a past? Let me say something. Uh, so I was gonna, I was not going to say anything. This is, and when this <laughs> goes out, it's probably going to be late. Um, you know, we stay out of politics uh, generally, but there's the whole the whole thing with the child separation and whatever your your feeling is on immigration. Uh, I did, I personally, and I'll explain why my own personal experience, it, you know, the, the whole separating parents from their kids is, it was a cruel policy. And again, uh, that's my own personal experience, personal belief, because in my own experience, I was separated from, from my parents for three days and it was the worst experience of my life. And I, and, and it's still something like that stays with me, hmm. you know, from a three day experience when I was 12 years old is easily the worst experience I've ever had. Hmm. And it still stays with me to this day. And maybe that's why I was so livid. I think if they hadn't announced that, you know, if he didn't sign, which is probably BS anyway, but sign the executive order saying that they're not going to do it anymore. If, if that didn't happen, I was going to go on a huge rant. But <laughs> since it's a few days later, and when you guys hear this, it'll probably be a few months later, um, and, or who knows what's going to happen in the next whatever amount of time. Um, really, 
hit me to the core hearing about this mm. because again whatever your feelings are about immigration and there are legitimate arguments on both sides of I course think referring to immigration immi- here in, in the United America, States yeah. okay so whatever your feelings are on on that on that as a you know policy I get it I get both sides I get the side that you know wants to be a little bit more um, kind of charitable and, and accepting and I get the side that says look we need at the end of the day the, the, there there is potentially an issue and we need to protect you know our borders for whatever reason so I'm, i understand the arguments but i think the policy of separating parents from kids is cruel and i can tell you from experience that just those three or four days was was devastating and again sticks with me to this day and um so when you do talk about that there are life experiences that that can really affect you and if you don't know that you know there you lose uh, information hmm. <laughs> I wasn't Sorry expecting to bring things down. down. No, no, I wasn't expecting it to go there. I was just <laughs> no, but was it, the no, but it is so true. And like we, everything we do is based off of what we've experienced in our past. Everything, not just what we eat and how we exercise. It's how we sleep. It's how we manage stress. It's you know, do we seek doctors or not? You know, it's like so many things that you don't even think about that all is related to our health and wellness. Mm. So on that note, what pops into your mind when it comes to a a past instance that that still resonates with you today? Maybe it has to do with fitness or diet or just in general. So I'm uh, just curious. All right. So if you guys want to write us in and let us know, or if it's personal or whatever, just just was posing the question. So that's that. that, That's it. Um, (laughs) You can send uh, send us your emails, your comments, concerns, thoughts, whatever, um, to thegymwits at gmail.com or all of our social media and informations at thegymwits.com. Tony, where can people find you? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Or you can go to my new and improved website, www.tipswithtony.com. Cool. And by, by the time this airs, it probably won't be so new. It's still anymore. so cool. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> you guys have to go check it out. It's yeah, like, it looks really good. I really, really like it. All right. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to definitely <laughs> check it out now. Because, um, uh, yeah, well, I guess when you're listening, I will have checked it out. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are the the gymnasts. gymnasts.